Well, it is good to see you all back. Uh, that was quite the storm last weekend, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, we had, uh, had some good snowball fights uh, with, with the boys. Uh, and uh, something I announced uh, last week, but just wanted to, to revisit it again, uh, was that uh, Don Hansen uh, and his wife, Trisha. Don has been uh, one of our deacons and serving as uh, uh, our treasurer. Uh, but they are uh, looking to, uh, to move out of state. Uh, and so uh, Daryl Moser, uh, another one of our uh, deacons, uh, is going to be taking over that, uh, that role and responsibility uh, of uh, the position of treasurer. Uh, and so he'll be overseeing all of the, the financial stuff uh, there. But I uh, uh, just wanted to, to bring that to your attention again. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you have your uh, Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to uh, continue our study. As, as you're turning there, how much does emptiness weigh? Now, empty hands don't weigh much, but an empty heart is quite heavy and burdensome. And there are so many things in our world today uh, that can easily distract us from uh, that emptiness, right? Uh, but, but the things in this life uh, do not solve our emptiness. Uh, they only distract us from it. My, uh, my wife and I, we've been watching uh, this television series uh, called Alone. Uh, it's a show about uh, survival. Uh, they take 10 people and they uh, drop them off uh, in the Canadian wilderness, and they see how long each of them can live in isolation. Uh, and uh, as, you, as you watch the, the show, you see that this is a test not only of their survival skills, uh, but also really of their, their hearts and their minds. Uh, and that the, the solitude uh, is just as much of a trial as the wilderness is. And being out there without smartphones or television, radio, uh, the, the internet, it leaves people alone with their thoughts. You hear a lot of people on that show talk about being left alone with their demons, meaning all of those decisions that they have made, all of those uh, hurt relationships, all of their own uh, sins and the consequences of their sins, all of their mistakes, that they are left uh, alone with those. Uh, and it's amazing. Some people, uh, as you, you watch the show, they're like, oh, this person's going to be, they're, they're going to make it to the end. They're really set up. They have a great shelter and a great source of food, all of this. But then suddenly they're like, I can't be out here alone anymore. And they call the boat to come pick them up. The emptiness in our heart is a most burdensome weight. Uh, and that emptiness can oftentimes feel like, like an oppressive darkness, just pressing down upon us in all directions. As we are walking through current trials, we feel that. Sometimes we, we feel it after uh, having already walked through difficult circumstances in life. We, we try and make sense of them. So past trials can feel that same way. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Now, proverb is a, is a slice of wisdom. And it tells us that there are some inner feelings that we have are, that are hard to communicate to others. 
and that, that it's hard to, to communicate uh, the, the bitterness in, in our own hearts, the emptiness of our own souls. It, it's hard to, to let other people know exactly what that feels like. In the same way that it, it's hard to communicate how much joy you have to someone who doesn't know you, right? You're, you're celebrating, and someone who doesn't know you is like, okay, that's good. Uh, a stranger will not share in your joy, but someone who loves you will. That's the point of that proverb. The difficulty of expressing the depth of our feelings. And yet, while th- there is no one who truly will be able to, to know the bitterness of our own hearts, no other human being, Jesus knows the bitterness that we feel, the, the bitterness that we experience, that, that emptiness, that darkness that weighs upon us. And not only does he know the bitterness of our hearts, but he also offers help to, and hope to deal with that bitterness. And in love, he offers us what we need most. And what we need most is him. As we've studied through John's gospel, he's said this in multiple ways. Back in John chapter 4, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus points to the feelings of, of hunger, building upon that, the idea of thirst in John 4. Jesus says to the crowd, after feeding them bread, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then, just a couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 7, verse 37, where Jesus stands up on the, the last day of the Feast of Booths, and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What, what amazing invitations that Jesus is constantly giving to us. If you hunger, if you thirst, if you feel emptiness, if you have a, a longing in your heart, go to him and be satisfied. What we're going to see this morning in John chapter 8, verse 12, is a, a similar invitation. And as we, as we studied last week, we looked at John chapter 7, verse 53, all the way through chapter 8, verse 11. And we saw that that portion in John's gospel uh, w- was a later addition. Uh, it was not something original that the Apostle John wrote, but it was l- added later on uh, in church history. And I would encourage you to, to listen to last week's sermon where I explained that a little bit more fully. But, but if you take that portion out, what we have here beginning in verse 12 uh, builds off of uh, what we just read at the end of chapter 7. Uh, And John chapter 7 and 8 form one continuous setting where Jesus is speaking uh, in the temple at the Feast of Booths. And so what I I would like to do is begin reading in John chapter 7 verse 37 and kind of recapture the the setting. So on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him, and some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And if you jump down to verse 12 in chapter 8, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Lord of hosts, creator of light, Father, open our eyes to clearly understand all that you are teaching us in your word. Help us to behold your son, Jesus, as exactly what he has proclaimed himself to be, the light of the world. May we believe that in faith, and may we believe the promises and the implications that flow out of all that he has taught. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to see in this uh, one verse that we're going to study this morning uh, is that Jesus is going to proclaim a truth about himself, and then he's going to make some promises. So he's going to unfold. If this is true about him, then these are the implications for us. And as we study Jesus' words this morning, we're going to see how we can move from darkness to light, from emptiness to fullness, from bitterness to joy. And how exactly do we make this transition? Well, by understanding the proclamation that Jesus makes and then by believing, trusting in the promises that he gives to us in this verse as well. And if we believe these things, not just knowing them intellectually, uh, but trusting that they are true and then be giving to live our lives accordingly, that is where we will begin to have Progress that we will begin to have that transition uh, and growth, no longer walking in the darkness, but in the light. And so first, looking at the proclamation that Jesus makes, beginning of the verse, Jesus proclaims that he is the light. And verse 12 begins, again, Jesus spoke to them, building upon everything that he said in verse 37. That, that invitation that Jesus made, And then here in verse 12, he makes a very simple statement. He says, I am, or it's emphatic in the Greek, I myself am the light of the world. And this is the the second of seven 
I am statements in John's gospel. Uh, the first one that we saw back in John chapter 6, verse 35, was that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And there's going to be five other statements as we continue to march through John's gospel. But this is the, the second of those. And Jesus is presenting himself as the definitive light source in the world. Back in John chapter 1, the apostle began his whole gospel account by introducing us to Christ as the light. If you, if you turn back to John chapter 1, if you look at verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, or shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9 in that same chapter, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So that's what we see. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the de facto source of all light to the world. Now, the, the Jewish people loved their feasts, and they loved the symbolism of those feasts. And what, what we see in the Gospel of John is, is Jesus showing the people that he fulfills the meaning behind the feasts. Uh, and we saw, as we studied a couple weeks ago, uh, that and Jesus standing up on the last day of the feast and saying, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink, uh, was building upon a water ritual that was performed each morning in, in the Feast of Booze, that they would pour water uh, upon, uh, from the Pool of Siloam and bring it to the altar uh, in the temple, uh, and they would pour it out as a reminder of uh, what God did uh, in providing water for 40 years for the people of Israel in the wilderness. And the, the Feast of Booths is a remembrance of all that God did in the wilderness for the people. And so now as, as Jesus stands up and proclaims that he is the light of the world, he's going to be building upon another ritual that was a part of the feast. Uh, and uh, the Old Testament uh, Jewish commentary, a book known as the, the Mishnah, has a chapter describing the Feast of Booths, and it has an, an amazing description of these events. Uh, and the Mishnah says uh, that he who has not seen the joy of the place of the water drawing has never in his life seen joy. Because if you haven't seen what happens at this feast, you've never ex seen or experienced joy in your life. That's a big statement. You're like, well, that's, you're really hyping it up now. Well, what is it? Well, on the first night of the feast and possibly on the other nights, uh, there were four large stands that were uh, put up, uh, and at the top of each of these stands would be four uh, golden bowls, uh, and they would uh, place these four stands, these huge candlesticks, uh, in uh, the court of the women in the temple. Uh, and so the, these 16 golden bowls that were reached by ladders, they were filled with oil, uh, and then, this is really odd, but uh, also funny, uh, they would use the priest's old undergarments as wicks in these very large candles, okay? Uh, and I, I think a junior high boy came up with that idea, like, what should we do with the priest's old clothes? Let's burn them as wicks in a candle. Uh, so they would, they would take this and they would uh, light it on fire and uh, it would completely light up 
not only the temple grounds, uh, but the entire city of Jerusalem. Uh, the Mishnah says that there was not uh, one courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light from the great candlesticks. And it says that the choirs of Levites would sing during the lighting. And it says men of piety and good works danced in the streets carrying torches and singing hymns. And so you think about this, there were no city streetlights uh, at this point in time. Uh, and, and for uh, a, a world that where, when darkness came, it was, it was dark each and every night. And then during this week-long feast, the entire city was lit up by these absolutely enormous candles. Would have been a spectacular sight, especially as the, the light bounced off of the, the yellow limestone walls of Jerusalem. And the Jews rejoiced in the light of these great candlesticks because they pointed to the glory of God that led the people in the wilderness. All right, we've been reading through the book of Exodus this month. Uh, you remember back in Exodus 13, uh, when the people of Israel had finally departed from Egypt, Pharaoh had finally let them go. It says that the glory of God led the people in the wilderness. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22 say this, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Then in Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, it says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So you think about this, this pillar of fire and cloud in the wilderness. Now it would have been large enough for three million people to see. It's about the size of the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt. Now, how big would a, uh, a pillar have to be for three million people spread out uh, over a large area to see it? Now, this was not a small chimney of fire. This was an absolutely enormous pillar that would have been visible for miles and miles around. And so the Jews, reminded of this at the time of this feast, were celebrating God's deliverance of his people with the lighting of these candlesticks at the Feast of Booths. And verse 20 in this chapter tells us that Jesus was teaching in the treasury. Verse 20 in John chapter 8 says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Uh, and uh, the treasury was located in the court of women. And so here you have uh, Jesus standing there, and I'm not sure what time of uh, day it would have been when he made this pronouncement. Maybe the, uh, the candles were, were just about to be lit. Maybe they, they weren't there, uh, and everyone was uh, thinking about them this past week. Uh, and then Jesus says, rather than the candles being lit, he says, I am the light of the world. And what's amazing is it was indeed Jesus who was the pillar of fire in Exodus. Whenever we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. And so Jesus was the, the pillar in the Old Testament. He was God who was with the people, who was guiding them, who was protecting them from the Egyptians. 
And Jesus is standing there in the temple proclaiming to his own generation, indeed to every single generation, that he is the light of the world. But what does that really mean and why is that important? Well, Jesus being the light implies that the world is naturally in a state of darkness. Right? Jesus says he is the light who shines in the darkness. Jesus being the light means that we must acknowledge our own darkness. If you look there in, in John chapter 8, we're just looking at one verse here, but this is in the, in the middle of a, a much larger conversation. Uh, and uh, Jesus is going to make this proclamation in ver verse 12, uh, and the Jewish leaders are immediately going to attack the validity of what he is saying. He says, your testimony doesn't count. And then Jesus is going to come back around and confront them. If you look at verse 24 in John chapter 8, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, we are all living in darkness. Now, that is what our sin does. It makes us spiritually blind. It makes us spiritually dead. And Jesus is the light that we are called to look to. Without it, we are left in the darkness. And Jesus being the light also implies that he is the only light. Now, Jesus doesn't say, I am a light of the world. He says, I am the light. And Jesus being the light also implies that he is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. If we, we want to see things clearly and understand the world around us, we must look to him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of Christ, it says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus being the light also means that we must look to him for our understanding. The light is not in us, it is in him. But what's our, our human tendency? What is the world around us constantly telling us to do? To, to look inwardly, to look inside of us to solve uh, life's problems and, and that emptiness that we, that we face. Where are we to look to remedy it? The world says look inside of us, but Jesus says no, don't look inside of you. You're not going to find it there. Look outside of you. Specifically look to him. Indeed, the, the Quakers believe that all of us have a piece of the divine in us, and they call that our inner light. That's just patently false. I love what one pastor and commentator says on this. It says, light is not a natural human possession. It comes only from Christ, and it is not a separable entity that may be possessed in, it, in itself, it is not an objective revelation that people may receive and hug to themselves. Jesus is the light. And to have the light is to have Jesus. There is no light apart from right relationship to him. We are not the light. He is. So if we want to, to have light, we must look to him. Trusting and believing in all that he has said he is. He is the one who was with Israel, who protected Israel, who guided Israel. He is the one who is with us, who will protect us, and who will guide us through every circumstance of life. 
We are called to trust him in faith. Not just knowing an answer on the test, but do I really believe that without Christ, I'm going to be walking in the darkness? Are you convinced of that truth? Not, I know what he says, that Jesus is the light. No, do you really believe that? That evidenced in your life? Or if it's not evidenced in your life, where do you need to address some things? To confess and forsake. Jesus proclaims that he is the light, and we are called to believe that. But then he's going to to give us two other promises that are going to to be implications of his being the light. And the first promise, stated in a a negative way, but my, my point would be this, is that Jesus promises freedom from the darkness. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And when Jesus says, whoever follows me, that that is discipleship language. That's language that's used to describe a soldier following his commanding officer. That's language that's used to describe uh, a student following his teacher, uh, a slave following his master, coming along after someone, uh, following in their footsteps. And, And the verb tense implies an ongoing commitment. Now, this is what we are uh, called and commanded to do. And we are called to follow and come after Jesus continually. This is the call of discipleship. All who are saved in Christ are called to now live for him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And the ESV translation of will not walk is a little bit underwhelming because it's very emphatic there in the Greek. And the idea is that this will never happen. And because of what Christ has done, because of who he is, we will never walk in the darkness. Believers are saved out of the darkness and we are new creations in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 and 18 uh, say that we are darkened in our understanding. And we are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us, because of our hardness of heart. That is before we come to know Christ, but in looking to Christ as the light of the world, uh, and looking to him as Lord and Savior, something amazing happens. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that uh, God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. We no longer walk in the darkness if we look to Christ in faith and see that he is the light. Now we walk in the light and we are set free from stumbling around in the darkness. Back in uh, in 1879, uh, there was a a U.S. naval vessel that was uh, specially outfitted uh, to go uh, in search of the North Pole. They were going to try and sail there. They, the ship was given a reinforced hull and a powerful motor to push through the ice. Uh, they were given an experienced crew and captain and given the, the best maps available. Now, but during that time, uh, they believed uh, that uh, there wasn't a, a polar ice cap, but that there was merely a, like a ring 
of ice at a certain latitude, and that if you broke through that ice, uh, that there were warmer currents that kept an, an inland polar sea at the North Pole. So that's why they're going to journey there by boat. Well, knowing that the, the trek was going to take possibly multiple years and that they would have to endure at least one winter stuck in the ice, uh, the, the USS Jeanette uh, was uh, loaded down with supplies. They needed a great deal of coal to power the ship. Uh, with a crew of 33 men, they needed a large uh, cache of, of food and supplies to stay off scurvy and hunger. But there was also another issue that, that previous expeditions had encountered as they went in search of the North Pole. And that was the discouragement of darkness. Because when you get that high up, uh, during the winter months, you're going to go a long time before you see the sun. The, the days are, are very, very short, and you may see the sun uh, as a, a blip on the horizon. And the sky may light up briefly, but it's going to be a long time before you see the light. And so to address this issue, the captain of the Jeanette, George DeLong, approached Thomas Edison. And Edison was known to be working on the, the electric uh, light bulb. Uh, and Edison hadn't quite uh, worked out the, 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 and perfected the, the incandescent light bulb. But what he said was that he could send DeLong a system of, of 60 arc lamps that would be ready to go and that would provide light during the, w the winter months. An arc lamp is uh, a gas discharge lamp, and it was extremely bright, so it was not ideal for using it in, in a house uh, situation. Now think of the light that is emitted from a blowtorch, right? That, that's harsh on the eyes. That's the type of light uh, that this light system that Edison gave them uh, would uh, supply. Now, that's really harsh in a, in a small room, but that would be fantastic uh, if you are stuck uh, in uh, a polar ice. And this arc lamp system came with a hand crank and a generator, and the system was supposed to, to put off the equivalent of 3,000 candles. And it was uh, said that the light from this system was so bright and so powerful that they had grown plants by this light. And so they took that with them on their journey. The Jeanette set sail, and it eventually got stuck in the ice, just like they expected. But what they didn't expect it was that they would be stuck there for 21 months. Think about that, stuck in the ice for nearly two years. And during that time, that system of arc lights provided by Thomas Edison never worked. Could never get it to work. The captain and crew of the Jeanette were promised light. But they were left in the darkness. And that will never happen to anyone who follows Christ. All those who believe in Christ, it is emphatically stated here, we will not be abandoned in the dark. We will walk, we will follow 
Christ, who is the light. That is a promise of freedom. That is a promise of victory. His light will not fail. Christ gives us freedom from the darkness of sin, freedom from the darkness of this world. We are called to believe, to be convinced that Jesus is the light that we must look to for guidance and protection, the light who will be with us, but we must also be convinced that the light of Christ will free us from the darkness. We don't have to continue to to stumble around going our own way, relying upon ourselves, battling against this darkness, this emptiness that besets us, that, that weighs upon us. How much does emptiness weigh? Well, sometimes it feels like there's nothing heavier than emptiness. And yet we are called to cast our burden upon the Lord to look to him, all our sin, all our darkness, all our burdens, all our emptiness, we are able to bring to the foot of the cross. We are able to bring them to the throne of grace. Knowing that Christ will give us the help and the hope that we need. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And there is much help to be found in Christ. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you are experiencing, no matter how great the darkness and emptiness you are feeling, There is hope and help in Christ. Jesus promises that he is the light, and he promises freedom from darkness. And then thirdly, the last portion of this verse, Jesus promises light leading to life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This this promise uh, is a contrast to the previous one, uh, but they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, The the first promise is, is stated negatively, right? We are told what will not be true of the believer. We will never have to walk in darkness. And this is stated positively. Uh, What will be true of the believer? That we will have the light of life. But again, what does that mean? What does it mean that we will have the light of life? Well, it means that Christ's light gives us life. It means that Christ's light sustains life in us and that Christ's light illuminates our life. There is hope and help to be found in Christ because his light is life and it is life-giving. And by his light, we see everything else around us. And ultimately, as we saw uh, several months ago when, when I taught on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says that we are called to be salt and light. That we are called to be reflectors of the light of Christ shining in us. Psalm 36, 9 
says, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Jesus is the one who gives sight to us to see everything else around us clearly, to make sense of all of life. This is going to be illustrated powerfully in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, Uh, Jesus is going to heal, he's going to give sight to a man who has never seen before. A man who was born blind. Jesus is going to to give him sight, and that man is going to be contrasted with the, the Jewish religious leaders who proclaim to be able to see. They proclaim to be lights in and of themselves. And it will be revealed that those Jewish leaders are the ones who continue to walk in the darkness. Uh, and the man who was blind is now able to see because Christ healed him, and now he walks in faith. He follows after Jesus. Everything that Jesus proclaims here is going to be illustrated and portrayed in John chapter 9. And the light of Christ gives us life and makes it possible for us to see and understand Every circumstance in life. And specifically, the light of Christ makes visible, number one, the the holiness of God. And it also shows us and reveals to us uh, the darkness uh, and the sinfulness in our own souls, right? Anyone else convicted as as you read through Exodus this week, reading through the Ten Commandments? What conclusion do you come to when you read the Ten Commandments? I've broken every one of these. I am a sinner. How can I stand before a holy God? How can I stand before this pillar of fire? Right? That's what happens in Exodus 20. Right after the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel see uh, the cloud descending upon Mount Sinai. And they see the, the flashes of lightning. And they say, Moses, why don't you go up there? We don't want to go up there. If we go up there, we will die. You go up, you represent God to us, you be our mediator, and then you come back down and you tell us what God says. But we can't go up there. Christ is now saying, no, look to him. See God's holiness. See the darkness of the world around us. See the darkness of our own heart. And see the true nature and circumstances of our own lives. Another pastor says this, that light is the active power that dispels darkness. And Jesus Christ is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood. Jesus is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus Christ is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of impurity. Jesus Christ is the light of joy that dispels the darkness of sorrow. We're called to believe and trust that Jesus is the light. But also in in Jesus saying this, he is also claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, He he is claiming to be the one that Israel has been waiting for. If If you turn backwards in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42, there there are several passages in the latter part of Isaiah that are known as the servant songs where uh, God is speaking about his chosen one the one he is going to send he refers to as his servant 
Isaiah chapter 42 is one of these servant songs speaking about the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 42, if you look at verse 5, it says, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, and I will take you by the hand and keep you. And I will give you as a covenant for the people. And what's the Messiah to be? A light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. We turn over to Isaiah chapter 49. We see another servant song. If you look at verses 5 and 6. Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant and to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus is saying he is that light. He is the Messiah. He is announcing that in the temple on this feast day. And the Jewish leaders understood that because their immediate response is, nah, your testimony doesn't count. We'll look at that next week. But they understood what Jesus was saying, that he is the Messiah, that he is the source of light and wisdom that we must look to. And the light of Christ constantly shines forth in the word of his scriptures. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we trust in Christ and follow after him, we will be free from darkness and we will have the light of life. But this is not necessarily a, uh, a guarantee that, that we go through life uh, executing perfect wisdom in every situation, right? All of us can attest to that. Uh, that just because we have light doesn't mean that we uh, always walk perfectly in it. But this is a promise that Christ and his word are able to guide us through every circumstance and situation that we face. It is a promise to us and it is a call for us to follow after Jesus. Now, and if you are here this morning and you are realizing that you have been stumbling around in the dark, and you know this because your toes are, are bruised and bloodied because you keep walking into things. Why is life so hard? Why do I feel so empty? Why am I struggling the way that I do? I would urge you, I would plead with you to look to Christ in faith. See that he is the light. See that he is all that you need. See how he shines the light into your soul shows you who you really are and points you to look to him. He is the one who can bring sight to your eyes. He is the one who can rescue you from the domain of darkness. He is the one 
who can free you from that oppressive emptiness that weighs upon you, no matter what the circumstances are. Christ is the light of the world. It's also possible that we as believers can at times turn away from Christ and look to other things as sources of light. Not that we should, but we do. We look in the other direction. We turn away from Christ and we begin to look to other things, created things, to be lights for us. But those lights end up being like Thomas Edison's arc lights, where we're trusting in them. This will give me hope and this will satisfy me. This will help me to see things clearly. No, it won't. You'll be left in the darkness and you, we begin to see those things as we walk with Christ. What we see here is that we must look to Christ, believing that he is the light of the world. What we see here is that we must look to Christ, believing that as the light, he is able to free us from darkness. We don't have to walk in darkness any longer. What we see here is that we must look to Christ, believing that as the light, he is able to give us life. If you turn back with me to the the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 began this morning by speaking of the, the weight of emptiness. In Genesis 1, we see how God in his infinite power and wisdom addresses emptiness. What does God do? If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. It was empty. It says, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And as you read in Genesis 1, you see that there is a, a pattern to God's work in creation, that he creates and then he fills. Okay, he, he creates the heavens and the earth, and then he, he fills the heavens with stars. And then on the earth, he separates uh, the waters above and the waters below. He creates the the waters uh, and the skies. And then he fills them, fills the sky with birds and the waters with fish. And then he creates dry land. And then what does he do with the land? He fills it with plants and animals and humans. But the very first thing that needed to be addressed at the very beginning before he could fill the earth with anything else, what did God do? The very first words spoken by God in Scripture, Genesis 1, verse 3, what does he say? Four words, let there be light. Because until the light was there, you're just filling in the darkness. There's no point in filling in the darkness unless the light is there to help you see it. And without the light of Christ in our lives, that's exactly what we are trying to do. We're just trying to fill in the darkness. Christ's light needs to shine in us and through us constantly. We have to look to him in faith, first and foremost for our salvation, but then on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, 
saying, Christ, help me to see life clearly at this very moment. Help me to walk and follow after you as a soldier follows after a commanding officer, as a student follows after a teacher, as a slave follows after his master. Christ, help me to walk after you because you are the light. If I veer off of the path that you're walking, I'm going to be in darkness. Help me to follow you, looking to Christ as the light, not only of the world, but as the light in our own individual lives. He must be exactly that. We must see the importance of Christ as the light of the world. And may we follow after him so that we can be free from the darkness and that we can have, we will have life. Amen? Let's pray.